Here's the 30-second lesson on what legends know. Never practice nunchucks in a crowded room. Never eat chole before a road trip. Always take your shirt off before you iron it. Don't take a call near a swimming pool. And don't forget, saving is not investing. Legends don't just save, they invest in mutual funds. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme-related documents carefully. We in India are really obsessed with our own politics. And you know, you can't blame us because our politics is so interesting, so exciting that sometimes we tend to overlook what's happening elsewhere in the world, particularly in our general region. And even if we do, we usually look westward from India, that is Pakistan. So Pakistan has just had elections and that tamasha is going on there. In fact, this week's national interest is about that. And, and you can read that, you can also hear that and watch that on my video version of national interest. That said, there is another country to our east. As we know, this is the largest, this country has the largest Muslim population in the world. So two countries, two nations, one to our west, one to our east, one with the largest Muslim population in the world, one with the second largest Muslim population in the world. Of course, the third is in India. So these two countries, the first and the second largest Muslim populations in the world, have just had their elections. Indonesia has a different system of elections than Pakistan. Indonesia is the country to the east. Pakistan is the country to the west. On Pakistan, all of us are experts on Pakistani politics as much as we might be experts on, on, on the game of cricket, etc. We, we, we think Pakistan's politics is our internal affair. It's an old joke. But the fact is that Indonesia to our east is a very important country. Not only is it the biggest Muslim country with the biggest Muslim population, it also is a Muslim country with a difference because it's a Muslim country with great tolerance of other faiths. 87.5% of Indonesia's population is Muslim. In fact, almost entirely Sunni Muslim. If they have discrimination at all, it mostly, it, it's mostly confined to what they call as deviant groups of Islam. And while they may not say so explicitly, it is targeting the Shias and definitely, definitely targeting the Ahmadiyyas, which, which is what happens in Pakistan as well. Otherwise, it's 10.5% Christians and just over 1.5% Hindus remain, live quite peacefully and quite securely. Also, its culture is very syncretic. Its culture is syncretic. Its names are very syncretic. In fact, as I'm reading up on Indonesian politics, a first time experience for me, although we featured Indonesia twice in Karta Klatter in the past, and I will share those links with you. One in particular was a full episode when we spoke about Indonesia banning same-sex marriages, because Indonesia has also been going towards conservative Islam. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating country. It lets the minorities be, but when it comes to its Muslim population, it's becoming more and more conservative. The policies of Prabowo Subianto, the likely new president, so far they are very conservative, very right-wing. In fact, his party Gerindra, Gerindra stands for Great Indonesia Movement. It's a right-wing nationalist party with a great strong dollop of Islamism. In fact, in the past, he has participated in activities and protests under the Defending Islam Movement banner, Defending Islam Movement banner, protesting against 
quote unquote blasphemy and in that movement he also had his as his co-participants the groups called Islamic Defenders Front, Islamic Community Forum and Muhammadiyah. Right now however elections over he is not talking too much about that but generally if you see analysis worldwide from Indonesia experts and also from Indonesia, some Indonesian experts it is widely suspected that he will push his country more towards right-wing nationalism which will also include greater Islamization. It is that country which has just had its presidential election. Indonesia elects its president directly. Indonesia also just like Pakistan has a history of long dictatorship. If anything, Indonesia's dictatorship has been a lot more brutal than Pakistan's. Pakistan's dictatorship always, always had a dollop of some democratic impulse on the side. If nothing else, there was some media, the judiciary had some freedoms or relatively so. But Indonesia, unlike Pakistan, which came out of the Indian subcontinent, which had the old political tradition, freedom movement, etc., etc., because it was part of the Indian whole. Indonesia wasn't. For 300 years, it was a Dutch colony. As the Dutch left, a dictator took over, that is, Sukarno initially wasn't such an Islamist. Even in the end, towards his end, he wasn't really an, really an Islamist. But as things got tougher and more challenging, he leaned in that direction, fought with his Communists, which led to a communist-led quote-unquote revolution or a coup, whatever you might choose to call it, in 1965. To put it down, see, he sought the help of a very tough general, Major General Suharto. Now, you might ask me, what's his full name? Now, in the Javanese tradition, people usually have only one name. So, he was just Suharto. Then people call him, his admirers call him Al-Hajj Muhammad Suharto, etc. But he was just Suharto, one name. Suharto crushed that rebellion. In that crushing of the rebellion, more than half a million people were killed. So there was also, also a tradition, tradition of brutality and brutality against their own peoples. Then as Sukarno weakened after that rebellion and Suharto grew in power, gradually over the next two years, it took, took over power, became dictator of Indonesia for 30 plus years. In fact, until 1998, he continued as a dictator and, and the country remained under a tough, really harsh dictatorial regime. It was under that regime that another general grew. We told you that Suharto was a major general under Sukarno. Under him, another general grew who rose to be a lieutenant general. That was Prabowo Subianto. Prabowo Subianto became a lieutenant general. He was also then known to have carried out really brutal actions against rebels, particularly in East Timor, or what, or, or what is called as Timor-Leste. That is where the Christian population, Timor-Leste, had a vast Christian majority, a very tiny island territory. Indonesia, by the way, is fully an island country. It's an archipelago. It's the largest island's only country in the world. He, he carried out, he, he tried to, he carried out operations to crush the rebellion or independence movement in Timor Leste. Finally, Timor did become, Timor, East Timor did become independent. But in the process, a lot of people were killed, a lot of people were kidnapped, and some people never surfaced. So about 12 people, about a dozen people were never found. It was because of that that the Americans has, had banned his entry into into their country until 2020, then they lifted the ban. Now you might ask me, 
Why did they lift the ban? And also, why are we talking about Prabovo Subianto? So, first of all, remember, I've taken some time learning to pronounce the name Prabovo Subianto and also becoming familiar with it. But if you are interested in international affairs and if you're also interested particularly in India's look east policy, then remember this name and keep it at the back of your minds. But because from on all evidence right now, although final results are not out yet, on all evidence right now, it looks like Prabhovo Subianto, age 72, former Lieutenant General. So he will now become most likely. The results are not out yet, but right now, from all indications, looks like he's leading by sufficient margin to not need a runoff. But if he does not get a sufficient number of votes, there might be a runoff. But at this point, it does not look like there will be a runoff. So if he becomes the president of Indonesia, remember, Indonesia has the largest economy in the OIC group, Organization of Islamic Cooperation group of countries. It's also a very important partner for India. It's also a country with a large population, 27 crore people, young population. 27 crore people, which also sees itself as, as a swing state as India does. So a large country not aligned with any power group. It's suspicious of the West. It likes better relations with India and China, as does the new president-to-be. If he does become president, the likely new president-to-be also does. So Prabobo Subianto is the one who is now the front-runner. From all indications, all the counting results that we have seen so far, he's sufficiently far ahead of his challengers. Now, this is his third attempt at power. And one reason I am also talking about Indonesia today, there is much else to talk about, is also because I find the politics of the country so fascinating and I find so much that is that might be familiar to us in India as well. So there is politics, there is a change of directions, there is change of sides, Adversaries become allies because there is always in politics, the real ideology in politics is a marriage of convenience. So it's convenient, then dushman ko bhi dost, dost ko bhi dushman, all of this happens. And most importantly, there is dynasty. Now one difference between in Indonesian politics and say that of other countries, other democracies that we know, is that Indonesian constitution in terms of its presidential tenures is like America's. So the president there cannot have more than two tenures, which is the problem of the current outgoing president, Joko Widodo. Joko Widodo, who's lovingly called Jokovi. Now, Joko Widodo is a very popular president. In fact, at this point, his approval ratings are 80%. At 80%, why does he have to go? He has to go because his constitution does not allow him to have a third term. Now, he also has a problem. He is very popular. He came from nowhere. He became the first politician in Indonesia's history to take over power in spite of the fact that he does not come either from the former military service. He is not a former general, unlike even Subianto, who might be his successor now, Prabhobo Subianto. Nor does he come from any of the elite families or any of the oligarch families of Indonesia. Elite political families, for example, Megavati Sukarnoputri, as the name indicates, Sukarno's daughter. So he does not come from anywhere there. He, if anything, was just a humble furniture salesman in the island of island city of Surakarta. In fact, every city in Indonesia is an island city. So why am I even saying that? Now, what happens? He finishes his second term. It will be over for him. 
Now, this is something that he started planning for when he won his second term in 2019. So, he began planning for his quote-unquote retirement, if I can put it like that. 2019, Prabhovo Subianto had lost his second election to Joko Vidodo. He had lost in 2014. He had lost in 2019. So, he was also looking at sitting out in the opposition for five more years. You are sitting out in the opposition for five more years. You lose power, your cadres might leave you, you may, you may stop getting or your funding, funding sources may decline. So, it's always useful to be in power. So, what happened? A marriage of convenience happened. How do I put it? There is the old line, if you can't lick them, you join them. I will, so that applies in this case. I will also reverse it. If you lick, if you've licked them twice, get them to join you because you can't lick them the third time simply because you can't fight them the third time. So what happened between the two of them? 2019, when Joko Vidodo won the election and became president for his second and final term, he invited, six months after that, he invited Prabhovo Subianto or former Lieutenant General Prabhovo Subianto to become his defense minister. So here is a guy you've defeated twice in presidential elections and now you invite him to become your defense minister. He serves under you because you think that, look, I'll be gone. I can't have a third term. He most likely will get will get the presidency because he is quite popular and contested twice and he's not be that old in 2024. So the best thing for me is to let him on, let him be, to take him on my side. That partly secures my retirement, only, only partly. How does, how does the rest get secured? I will come to in just a minute. For Prabhovo Subianto, it was very useful because five years, why stay out of power? Get into power, become defense minister. I'm a former general in defense ministry. I can build some name for myself. I can do something for my party people. And in the course of time, when time comes for next elections, maybe Joko Vidodo will informally endorse me. So for him, it's understandable. If you can't lick them, you join them. For Joko Vidodo to invite him, it is like you've licked him twice. You can't do it a third time because you can't contest. He will most likely become president to have him join your bandwagon. Maybe he'll be useful. Better to have him inside the tent than outside, outside it. That, as I told you, partly secured his retirement. How did the rest happen? The rest happened because he now got Prabhovo Subianto to choose as his running mate, as his vice presidential candidate, Joko Vidodo's son. So incumbent president's son, Gibran Raka Booming Raka. He is now the vice presidential candidate or the running mate with Prabhovo Subianto. There is also a little interesting twist there, which I will come to. But once he has the, his son as the vice president, first of all, he knows that his son is growing. Second, he knows that his family's political power remains at least to some extent and also is building a dynasty. He, he presumes that Prabhovo Subianto, he presumed, had the most likely chance of winning. So give his son, put his son on his wagon. So he's most likely to rise there. But most importantly, in the Indonesian system, an outgoing president cannot campaign in elections, cannot endorse candidates. But this way, just by having his son run as the running mate with Prabhovo Subianto, it becomes an indirect endorsement. So it suits Prabhovo, it suits Joko. So this is how this marriage of convenience has taken place. 
second time over. Now, there is a little twist there I told you in all this and that, that also tells you how convenient are our rules and our constitutional mechanisms in our systems once the powers that be wish to, wish to change them or wish to mold them. Now, the son of Joko Widodo, Gibran Raka Booming Raka, he's 36, 37 years old. Under Indonesian constitution, you cannot become president, you cannot hold an office like that at that level unless you are at least 40 years old. So he is underaged. If he is underaged, how does he become candidate for vice president? So what do you do? You go to the constitutional court and you say that, look, give me a waiver, give me a waiver because I am already in an elected office. So this young fellow, Joko Widodo's son, has been elected as mayor of Surakarta, the city where, where Joko Widodo used to be a humble furniture salesman. He is the mayor, he is elected as the mayor of that city. And the constitutional court now rules that see, usually the rule of 40 years applies, but in his case, in case of Joko's son Gibran, since he is already in an elected position as the mayor of Surakarta, it doesn't matter that he is not 40 years of age, that is waived. So he gets that waiver and he can contest for vice president at his age of 36. Now, the little, little twist in the tale, who is the chief justice of the constitutional court? It is Joko Widodo's brother-in-law. So, you know, I am going to court, I will get justice because, you know, who the judge is? The judge is my pupa or my mosa, like that. So that is how, that is how this arrangement has been arrived at. Now, what kind of government is Indonesia likely to have? There is a lot of concern I find in global press. Also from a lot of Indonesian activists that Indonesia is going back to the authoritarian ways. It had a very authoritarian system till 1998 and that system crippled Indonesia, particularly the, the, the Eastern financial crisis of that period. That crippled Indonesia and that's when Indonesian elites, thinkers got together and said that look, this system isn't working, our country also needs to be modern and we needed democracy. So they built a democracy. And they had elections. Indonesia has had very clean elections. So no democracy is perfect. Our democracy in India is not perfect. In fact, I told you just the other day that if anybody says that my democracy is perfect, I will show you, I will take you to North Korea. So no democracy is perfect. India's democracy is not perfect. US democracy is not perfect. European countries don't have perfect democracy. Many other countries, in fact, there is no such thing as a perfect democracy. Most democracies continue to be flawed. Many of our democracies, including India's, Indonesia's, they continue to be described as flawed democracies by global democracy rating agencies, whether or not you accept them or like them, that's, that's besides the point. Now, many of them are now saying that Indonesia has begun to slide backwards. First of all, Joko Widodo himself had started pushing back his country on the authoritarian and conservative side. So among the things that Joko, Joko, Joko Widodo has done or Jokowi has done to weaken his democracy is weakening his institutions. For example, his anti-corruption commission or let me say Indonesia's equivalent of the Lokpal. He's completely weakened it to the extent that it doesn't really matter now. And, and at the same time, he's overhauled his criminal code, greatly curtailing freedom of expression in his country. He cr criminalized same-sex marriages. In fact, that, that was the second time his government also criminalized premarital sex. They also passed many other conservative laws. They've been very tough with democracy activists and also transparency activists. So 
the country has seen a democratic backslide. And now it looks like if the new president is Prabhuvo Subianto, former general with a notorious past, although he's tried very hard to clean up his past. In fact, you see his TikTok videos, it's very not, not easy to see them in India, but he has, he has his dancing videos on TikTok. He also has he also has other social media presence that is trying to paint him now as a cuddly grandpa. Uh, he also poses on social media with his beloved cats. He also has an artificial intelligence avatar and, and as I mentioned to you, TikTok dances. All of them give them the image of what in the Indonesian language is called a gemoy, G-E-M-O-Y, which is like a cute and cuddly old uncle, right? So that is the image he's trying to project. So he's trying to say, I'm a soft guy. Don't confuse me with the tough, brutal general that I used to be. So nobody is quite buying into it right now. Now, Indonesia, why should India bother about Indonesia? And why should we look at what's happening in Indonesia? First of all, Indonesia, even for India, has been a model Islamic country, a model Islamic country, which is very tolerant of other minorities, including a very tiny Hindu minority. The Hindu culture flourishes there. A lot of the Indonesians, even though they might be Muslim, draw their names from Indian tradition or Hindu tradition. When I'm reading the writings of political experts, political analysts in Indonesia, I see names like Bhima Yudhishthira, for example, or I see a name like Vishnu Junono, who's an associate professor of University of Indonesia. At the same time, Indonesia is a country with lots of commodities. It has big economic power. Its per capita income is about twice as high as India's. It's Economic growth rate is today 5 to 5.5 percent, but it has potential. It is a nickel powerhouse. It produces a lot of nickel for the world, and nickel now is a very valuable commodity because it's go it goes into electric vehicles, those batteries. It also produces a lot of the world's palm oil and some of the world's highest quality, best quality coal. In fact, India has been exporting a lot of palm oil and coal from Indonesia. Again, strategically, see where the country is positioned. Indonesians like to call themselves as a swing state, and they are quite right, because their country, their islands, it's literally thousands of islands, thousands of islands. It is a huge archipelago, thousands of islands, which straddle the mass, the geographical mass, between the two oceans, between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So this is truly an Indo-Pacific state, truly an Indo-Pacific country. Also the Strait of Malacca, which is so strategic for India, it's just at the, at the mouth of Strait of Malacca stands our last, last of our Nicobar Islands. Strait of Malacca, which is also critical for China because so much of Chinese energy supplies come through it and that is a big choke point for China and for the global shipping and for global strategic uh, purposes. That Strait of Malacca falls in Indonesia. It is, it is flanked by Indonesian islands on both sides. And that's why what happens in Indonesia is of great interest and of great importance to us in India.